to my shame, but this morning I, I uh, am confident that um, what God has to say to us can be expressed simply and briefly, though the passage we're reading is substantial. This morning we're going to read from 2 Samuel. For this week and next week, as we close out the series on looking at characters in the Old Testament, we're going to be talking about David. The big theme in First and Second Samuel, which covers Samuel, it covers King Saul and then King David, is something that we heard a few weeks ago when we looked at the story of Hannah and Hannah's prayer in First Samuel chapter two. She prays to the Lord, and she says that the Lord opposes the proud, but He exalts the humble. That is the, the theme for the books of First and Second Samuel, um, and it is beautifully illustrated time and time again. And so as we look at the life of David, humility and pride are the things that I want us to notice and to take away. We'll, we'll focus on humility this Sunday and, and pride next week. So as we prepare to look at this, let's, let's read together and let's stand the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 7. We're going to read the entire chapter. The 2 Samuel, chapter 7. It should be on the screen, but feel free to follow along as well. Now, when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body? And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men 
with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then David, then King David, went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more? Can David say to you, for you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people? making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Maybe when you read this passage, humility is not the thing that first jumps out at you. This is one of the most pivotal, important passages in all of Scripture. I mean, if you wanted to summarize God's plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, you'd be hard, it'd be hard to skip this part that really establishes who, what God is doing in the, in, the, in the life of his people Israel and that this covenant with David will be fulfilled ultimately in Jesus himself. To understand who Jesus is and what he's doing, this this passage, this covenant that God makes with David is is essential. And so I I said I was going to be brief, but I mean, I could talk to you all day. And people have written entire books about this one chapter of scripture. But I do want to talk to you just about humility and how we see humility expressed in this passage. And then next week, how we see the contrast of that as David's life continues and tragically deteriorates. 
I, this morning, as I think about this, this, this preaching this sermon um, and, and leading our worship service, it's, it'd be easy for me to think about what I'm doing as, as something that I do for God. Like I'm doing a great thing for my God, whom I love, who's redeemed me. Um, I'm serving him. I, I, I'm doing something. And that desire is right and good, and that's the desire that, that David expresses here at the beginning of the chapter. David has been blessed so abundantly. This is the first time in the history of Israel that they have a capital in Jerusalem, that God's presence in the Ark of the Covenant is there, that they are not at war, that their king is righteous. This is unprecedented. This is incredible, and David knows it. He is so grateful for it, and his desire if out of gratitude and love for God, is to build God a house. And what he means is a temple. Um, you'll notice that God, is, God describes how he has been traveling around. And what, what God means, of course, is how the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the vessel that God has sanctified and, and instructed his people to create, which, which represents and contains the, um, the unmediated presence of God, that that Ark of the Covenant has traveled from, from, the, from the time it was built to now with the people. God says, I, I have traveled, I have lived in a tent. Um, and so David is saying, like, I live in a palace, a palace made of cedar, an incredible monument, one of the greatest structures that most people would have ever seen. How can my God live in a tent? How can we worship him in a tent when I get to be in this palace? It is a appropriate, and if you were in the position, probably, a, a, probably the same thing that you would think and experience as well. Again, when I think about what I'm doing this morning, not, to, not, not, that, it's, not that no one else could do it, but I am the one doing it. I, I, I'm, I'm doing something for God. But, but, there is a danger in that way of thinking. And that's why God is somewhat, somewhat um, corrective as he reminds David of what has come before him. Uh, God asks David a rhetorical question, right? Have I instructed anyone before you to build me a house? The answer is no, he hasn't. No, it's that God, God is saying, look, I have been content to dwell with my people. I, I've never asked for a house I have no need for a house. In fact, David, I want to build you a house. And the wordplay is very intentional, and it thankfully actually comes through in translation. God, I want to build you a house. David, I'll do you one better. I'll build you a house. So again, as I think about myself, when as I come here this morning, I've had just a exhausting week. I, I injured my eye earlier this week. I, you noticed I, I took my sunglasses off of my shirt as I was reading the scripture because I noticed them and felt self-conscious. Um, but for at least 24 hours, I, I could not look at a light source because it caused me extreme pain. And so I've been keeping these around uh, just, to, just to help me out. Uh, this is not a, a fashion statement. But um, no long-term damage. I'm, I'm going to be fine. But it was, it's, been a, it's been a hard week uh, to try to care for our daughters, um, to try to prepare this, this message. As, 
to try to make sure that the things we're doing this morning are, are going to go off and be all right, and Jamie's out of town on a well-deserved vacation, and I come here this morning with some stress and with some exhaustion, but as the worship team and volunteers will attest, when, as we prayed together before the service, I, I was emotional and almost to tears just because of how grateful I am uh, to be here uh, and to worship um, and to be able to do the awesome thing that we are doing this morning. As I think about celebrating the Lord's Supper together with my family, and as much as I might like to think that I'm, I'm really doing something for God as I come here and as I minister and as I preach, all the more, abundantly more, God is doing something for me. He's met me here this morning. I am blessed and grateful for it. And that is what is happening in the life of David. And that is what God is doing for all of us, always. Our desire to serve him is righteous and good. But God would want us to remain humble, not humiliated, not, not self-defeating or, or, or self-depreciating. Humble. Humble. In humility, C.S. Lewis describes this. I've quoted this before. It's the, it's the best that I've ever heard. When you're truly humble, you can be grateful for and celebrate the accomplishment of someone else as if it were your own. And that's what David's going to have to do because Solomon, his son, is the one who's going to build that temple. No, in, in humility, we don't, we don't take ourselves down or tear ourselves apart. In humility, we simply see others and see God for what they truly are. And so, yes, I, I, I've, I've put in work and I, I don't need to be self-depreciating about my ability to preach or the, or the work that I've put in. But at the same time, there can be no pride and there can be no uh, uh, selfishness that I'm doing something that God couldn't do very, very well without me. No, I want to do something for God. I want to serve Him. But all the more, God is doing something for me. And so as I, I experienced that this morning, all of us experience that in the work of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. That is the fulfillment of the promise that God makes here. Obviously, God is talking about Solomon in many of these instances. Um, he's talking about someone who he's going to discipline, uh, someone who is going to take the throne, and yet it's someone whose kingdom is going to last forever. And that's not true of Solomon. In fact, it's not true of any of David's sons. Israel will be conquered, sent into exile, and this promise will seem to be broken. And as the people of God desire to build a new temple, desire to bring correct worship back into the lives of Israel, they will accomplish that. And the Pharisees of Jesus' day accomplished something that very few in Israel had before. They, they had restored proper worship for many, many of the people of Israel. And yet, God in Jesus comes to them and says, Thank you, but I have something more for you. And he gives them Jesus. They're not prepared for Jesus. There is pride there, and pride will keep us from seeing God's good gifts for what they truly are. 
but it will not stop him from giving them. No, Jesus preaches, he teaches, he fulfills the promises that God made to David and through the prophets to Israel. He dies, rejected, and he rises to life. And anyone who is humble enough to admit that that is what they needed and that that act and gift of God is infinitely beyond anything that they could do for God to serve him, well, then that that humility leads to salvation, to transformation, and to eternal life. Resurrection, as we sang, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again. That is God's promise, and that is what he has done for us, and there's nothing we can do that's ever going to compare to it. And that humility should not discourage us. It should encourage us all the more, all the more that we can fail. We can, li- we can not live up to our own expectations of ourselves. We can imagine doing something incredible and dramatic for God and yet fall short of it. At the end of the day, what God has done for you is what matters. The fact that he has given his son Jesus for you and that you know him as your savior, that is the thing. That is the only accomplishment that truly matters and God has already done it for you. And so as we worship together, as we reflect on this passage of scripture, I hope that God gives us that kind of humility. Humility that allows us to receive God's good gifts and to truly understand and appreciate just how good they are. And that's how David responds. When David responds in prayer, he doesn't object. Oh, but, but God, I, this is important. I really want to build you a house. Come on. But you're living in a tent. And it's not wrong. God is going to get a temple, right? But God, David doesn't object at all. No, he, he has the humility to know everything that he has received and accomplished has been because of God's good work in him. He even says, this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. For humility gives him perspective to understand the gravity of what God has done and what God is capable of doing. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, You have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. There is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our our ears. David receives God's good gift. He can see it for what it is, and he is deeply blessed by it. And his desire to accomplish something great is able to pass away without, without shame, without being humiliated. Will you receive God's good, abundant gift, his grace, his love, his power in the person of Jesus? Are you humble enough to know that you need it more than God needs anything that you could accomplish? Humility gives us confidence, bizarrely. It may seem counterintuitive. But David, because of, his, because of knowing his place and knowing God, his prayer is full of confidence and hope for the future. 
I am not confident in my own righteousness or ability as Paul has warned me not to be. As Paul said, no, I will not boast in, in any of these things. No gifts, power, wisdom that I have. I boast in Christ alone. And when we humbly approach our great and awesome God, he can bless us with that confidence, that hope for the future that transcends whatever challenge or difficulty we are facing. God blessed David more abundantly than he could have imagined when he was not even asking it, asking for it or seeking it. I don't know if you come here this morning asking for God's blessing or seeking his goodness or his grace, but it's here for you. Whether you knew you needed it or not, and you do, you need it desperately. If we confess with our hearts, we confess <laughs> in our hearts and our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are truly his children, our sins are forgiven, we are given the blessing of his Holy Spirit, and we are brought into a community, a kingdom, together where we can be his hands and feet, where we can accomplish great things for him. What, we have, what you have done in response um, to, the, to the mercy team's request is an awesome thing. And you've done it because of what God has done for you, because of the power that he has given you, because he has transformed you and is making you like himself. This morning, whatever your need may be, whether it is forgiveness of sin comfort from stress or affliction, healing for yourself or, or someone you love, ask God for it, knowing that he can do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. He did it for David, and he will do it, and has done it even this morning for us. May we have eyes to see and ears to hear, and humble hearts to receive and serve. As we continue to worship, again, we're going to take the Lord's Supper after this song. If you haven't had a chance to get the elements, I would encourage you to do so. I'm going to pray for us now, and we're going to sing together, and then we'll take together the Lord's Supper. God, the house that you built for your servant David is the one that we live in together today. The word your son, Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. He made his tabernacle with us. And so, Lord, all of the earth is yours. You made it and it belongs to you. You, you do not need a house or a palace. You have created a creation, a universe that, that extends beyond our understanding and knowledge. The earth, the galaxy, the universe, it is full of your glory. Who is like you, O oh God? And so, Lord, we, we pray with the words of David as he expressed in the Psalms. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face 
of God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Lord, open the doors and the gates of our hearts. Enter in. Bless us and make us like your son, Jesus. Lord, we, we ask and we pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand?